Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Today's podcast is sponsored by one of our favorite products, Almond Cow. We've been using it for well over a year, and I say we, mostly my husband Mark, who is mooing. Honey, what are your thoughts about Almond Cow? <laughs> this is the Moo Man. He's back. <laughs> I love the Almond Cow because we know how great it is. Anything that you could can make a plant-based milk with, you're set. And I just have it. I don't need to make make that much. It's just sitting in the pantry. And then when we're ready, I just make it. It takes a minute. Is it? It tastes so good. It tastes so good. And. For those of you who are thinking about it, let me tell you why. There, there are no added preservatives, any kind of artificial stuff. You put in it what you want. You can sweeten it to your taste. It is so easy to make, so easy to clean up, and it's pure gold. It really is. And they give you a lot of recipes on the Almond Cow website. You have the recipe, so you don't have to think, you don't have to go anywhere to find it. It's there for you. Yes, we love it so much. So if you're interested in getting your own, go check out the link or just go to their site, almondcow.co. And you can use code Lara, L-A-R-A, for extra savings. Go get yourself one and have fun. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns. So together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. You are in for a treat, my friends, because I have a wonderful human on here today. Nicole Sachs is a speaker, writer, podcaster, and psychotherapist who has dedicated her work and her practice to the treatment of chronic pain, symptoms, syndromes, and conditions. And so much of this comes from her own experience with chronic pain. Now imagine this, at age 19, being diagnosed with a debilitating low back condition and told that you could never have children and that you need to mostly stay in a bed. Well, that what happened to Nicole, and she talks all about that and her solution to that and coming out of that and her determination to carve a different path. She also came across the work of Dr. John Sarno, who I've talked about on here today and or on other podcasts, and she became a direct disciple. How lucky, because he is or was amazing. He has a book, Healing Low Back Pain, which I recommend highly. We have we talk about all this stuff, the psychosomatic, the fight, flight, the mind, body, and so settle in and enjoy my conversation with Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Welcome. And I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. 
So, you know, when I first, um, somebody sent me one of your posts and I loved it because it had the F-bomb in it and all this stuff. And I was like, this um, woman is like just resonating with me in so many ways. But in particular, as a physical therapist, dealing with chronic pain for not me, but helping people with chronic pain. I want to hear about your story and how that um, became like your focus, your niche, I think from your own experience. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I will say when I think about being in this work, it all started when I was a patient of this work. Um, so the story is long. I'll give you sort of the high points. When I was 19, I was at college. I was a freshman and I had what they call in the medical world an acute pain incident, which you might hear in the common vernacular as my back went out. Um, I had had sort of back pain, little achy back when I had, was a child and also now in the rear view, tons of different mind body symptoms, anxiety, different kinds of manifestations of stomach stuff, you know, headaches, but the back pain was really what scared me. And when I was a freshman, my back went out completely to the point where when, when I had to go home, my parents had to come and collect me, you know, they had to help me to the car. I needed help to the bathroom. I needed very, I couldn't do very basic self-care. And um, so of course that launches us into all the doctor's appointments and the surgery consults and the muscle relaxers and opioid pain medications and steroids. And it was, um, it was a whole thing. And so I was diagnosed um, very definitively with a condition called uh, degenerative spondylolisthesis. Don't know if you've heard of that one. <laughs> yes. Many times. Yes. But maybe explain it to people who don't know what it is. In my case, because I have not actually become an expert in the diagnosis because it, it's so immaterial to me now, but in my case, um, I have two vertebrae, if you look at my films, that almost look like they're sitting on top of each other without a um, disc. And then I have stress fractures in my vertebrae above and below it. And then actually in my case, I have a whole vertebrae that's shattered and replaced with scar tissue. So it's really gnarly looking according to orthopedists. And um, and, and that day that I found out about it for the first time was certainly no exception. You know, to watch a doctor's face kind of go pale and how are they going to tell you that, you know, this is pretty dark what I'm about to say to you. So I was 19 alone with my mother who was wringing her hands and very upset. And I was told um, you will not be exercising. You should not travel. You have to sleep in very specific positions to make sure to stabilize your back. You shouldn't ride in the car for more than an hour at a time because the bouncing motion in the car could continue to derail your condition. And um, the cherry on the cake of that was it is unlikely you'll have ever have a biological child because the weight of the baby on your, you know, on the front to to weaken the spine could lead you to just a really a catastrophic end. And he said, if you do want to have one child, it would probably be seven months of bed rest. And like, I don't even know if you can imagine like being 19 and being told this. It was insane. It's like being delivered a, I don't want to say a death sentence, but a totally immobilization, like your, like your life as you might know it and as you might have wanted it is over. And it's just, it's, it's unfortunate because I think doctors, as we know, my dad was an orthopedic surgeon and he was a wonderful one. And he was one of the ones that said, you don't lie in bed a month after you have a low back injury. You, you got to get up and move. That's how you heal. But, you know, they do 
to their defense, they're not taught bedside manners. They're taught about diagnoses and then what is the prediction of that. But it really does show you the power of getting a, a diagnosis. This is what I see all the time. People will come to me, oh, I have a spondylolisthesis or I have cervical fusion. And I'm like, I don't really need even to know that. I don't need to look. I certainly don't need to look at the scans. I need to know how is, you know, all the things that you're going to talk about now. But it is really it's 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 shocking that a 19-year-old should be served that. So how did you respond? And I were you immediately curious and determined to find a different answer? I would definitely not say immediately. Um, a little bit less uh, evolved. I was immediately yeah. <laughs> So I just decided like, okay, got it. Next. You know, I think I was very in the moment, which is one thing about kids. You know, you mm -hmm. tend to be. And as soon as I could get myself up and walking, I went from being in acute pain to being in chronic pain, which is not much better, but at least, you know, you kind of go about your life fueled by fear. And so, you know, be careful. Don't move this way. Don't move that way. Don't pick up anything heavy. I became like Nicole with the back thing where anytime there was like something heavy, someone would like jump in and pick something up for me. And it, it created in me a lot of self-pity. Um, it created me like a, a real nice victim mentality of, you know, woe is me and my life isn't going to be anything. And I will say the kid thing, I definitely put way, way back um, in the back on the back burner because I was so not ready to have children. And I was also so determined that I would. Um, I just was a very maternal kid. I loved babysitting. I was a camp counselor. Like I never I just I just dismissed that part. Thank God, because I think it really would have gotten me in a very dark place. Um, so I went on with my life and, and one thing I'll say to the credit of the surgeon, he did say that I was going to need spinal fusion surgery, but he also said you're young and otherwise healthy. And unless you're going to go into like construction, you don't need it now. And I was like, yeah, no worries. That's not on my list. So, um, and so anyway, I went on with my life knowing that there was nothing at least being told to me in the moment I had to do other than be super careful and stop all the activities that were any fun. And, you know, it was definitely, it, it sucked. So um, I'd say I got curious. I mean, I, I, you know, it's hard to think back and remember, but what the truth of the matter is Rosie O'Donnell had a talk show that was like the number one show in the country at the time. It was the nineties. And her talk show had a, had a featured guest. Um, her name is Jeanette Barber. And she was one of Rosie's producers and she was in a motorized wheelchair. And Rosie had a segment called Fix Jeanette. And she, Jeanette had been to every doctor, every specialist, had every treatment and the pain. I think she had a plantar fasciitis and maybe sciatica, maybe shin splints, but it was so bad that she was actually in a wheelchair. And she was so bereft. And Rosie went on and said, who has ideas? Let's fix Jeanette. It was just a segment. My mom happened to be watching in the follow-up segment where Jeanette had just run the New York Marathon. So it was an incredibly moving thing. And of course, my mom had ridden this whole ride with me from the orthopedic surgeons on. And, I, and it was several years later. I was in my mid-20s. And my mom called me just hysterically, you know, hysterical, as any Jewish mother has tendency to be and said, um, you have to get this book by Dr. John Sarno because um, Jeanette had done Dr. Sarno's work and that was what led her to be completely pain-free even though she had no surgery and no procedures. And I was like, what is this, Dr. John Sarno? 
And so I got his book at the time, uh, his the only book that I, well, that he had had two published books, Mind Over Back Pain and Healing Back Pain. Healing Back Pain was the one I got. And so I guess the best I can say is here's how I understood it at the time. And this is my paraphrasing, even though Dr. Sarno and I were so close till the day he died, he always said, Nicole, you explain it any way you want, because that's that's a spoiler for what happens later in the story. But essentially, sometimes we feel things in our heart and sometimes we feel things in our body and they are literally interchangeable. And people believe this. Like when I lecture, I could lecture to a room of a thousand people. And if I say, who's ever had a stressful day and gotten a headache, every hand in the room goes up. And then I say, okay, who went the next day for a CT scan because they were worried about a brain tumor? And everyone laughs, right? Because it's ridiculous to think that if you get a stress headache, you would have to go get tests. But when something becomes chronic, everything we believe about the mind-body connection, meaning stress equaling a physical reaction, goes out the window. Chronic pain is an epidemic of fear. And people no longer take that innate knowledge of knowing the most very basic expression of human emotion, which is when we're really moved or we're really sad, we have water that falls out of our face. You know, what's, what is a more salient example of an emotional stimuli causing a physical reaction than crying. You know, we believe it. We believe that when you get a call and it says your mother's number and it's midnight, your stomach goes sick. You know, what could it be? Like, we know that we experience physical reactions from emotional stimuli, but when chronic stuff happens, we are so panicked and we really lose all of that innate knowledge. So I got it. I understood that that could be true. And I was like, hmm, at the time, I already had my psychology degree, undergraduate degree. I was getting my master's in social work at the time of this phone call from my mother. And I decided to embark on a science experiment on myself, on a psychology experiment on myself. I said, okay, Dr. Sarno at the time was positing that rage was the number one cause um, as to why people channel pain into their backs. And so I considered myself the least rageful person I had ever met. I'm super chill, you know, kind of go with the flow, you know, um, just not the, I, I, my dad was a very rageful guy and I just, I hate the feeling when people yell. And so I thought, how could I have any rage? Which of course is hilarious. And, um, and I started doing, um, just at the time I wasn't even really doing the work so much as I was just acknowledging, like, what's making me mad about this? You know, what's what's going on? So I know I want to just complain about my back, but like what's happening in my life right now? What's frustrating me? What's angering me? What's stressing me? And I would do like a mental inventory. And then maybe 10 minutes later, when I got involved in an activity and I kind of attended to my back, I was like, oh, wait, it doesn't hurt. And it was this magical moment of understanding. It was a real inflection point for me that maybe I'm not broken. And like, I feel like even to this day, when I tell the story, which I've told a million times, I get emotional because maybe I'm not broken is a realization that carries tremendous power for our health. You know, understanding that we're not disempowered, understanding that we don't have to give away our agency to a pill or a doctor or a surgery. Maybe we don't. And that's what happened to me on that day. And the long and the short of it is I had 
my babies. I exercised till the day they were born. I did have a, a what do they call it? Um, a relapse, I guess you could call it in my recovery when my, uh, my son was 10 months old and I was lifting his little baby walker and I had a terrible back pain incident. And the result of that led me actually to go meet with Dr. Sarno and to do the work really robustly, which I kind of created in that experience. And that's sort of the seed that I planted that has grown into a large uh, field and garden of things that I teach others for many years. And, um, and so, I mean, I could go on and on. I kind of just, I don't want to like, you know. <laughs> no, I love this so much. And by the way, I had John Sarno's book back 20 years ago. And um, yeah, I just, I'm so uh, gleeful that you worked with him and were so close to him because uh, he really put himself out on a limb there to, and, and, and many doctors have followed that now. Um, I, I interviewed a, an orthopedist who had done plenty of surgeries and recognized, wait, this is not the answer. And there is more to it than a mechanical issue or a structural issue. And so I think that it's, it's obviously everything kind of lined up in such um, a synchronous way that you yes. already had that um, psychology in your background. But I would love to know, like, in in your own work that with others and, and in your own experience, how important do you think it is to know the seed, the root of, like, the root of the rage? Or is it important to know that where it came from or just that there's something there that needs attending to? Like, I, you know, when I've had, when I've worked with people with chronic pain and it all it always comes up that there's, the body is just, barking back after being suppressed, essentially, is how I'll say it. And sometimes people will know immediately, like, oh, this happened. And I just, you know, I've had people who lost, had great losses early in childhood and kind of had just clamor up and, and proceed and persevere and never had a chance to process those. And then it comes back at some point. But do you think there is value in understanding the root of that in, this, in the psychology that, of, of what you do? I definitely think there is, but I also think that it's very possible to heal without getting to the specific thing. So I'll speak mm -hmm. more about the vehicle healing. So essentially in my self-exploration and trying to figure out what it was that I needed to unrepress um, in order to heal, I developed this tool called, tool called Journal Speak. And Journal Speak is um, a, it's a method of expressive writing where it we come up with topics and we come up with things that are renting the real estate in our minds and our hearts stuff from childhood it's 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 a whole thing that i have tons of resources online for people to learn about it and what i do with people in my retreats but also just you know people go and do it on their own because i have so many things online that they can use is you excavate from a place and you speak with the voice of the inner child you speak with the voice of a person who has not been able to be seen or heard the the little kid inside that wants to kick and scream and say hey what about me or that wasn't fair or you did me wrong or the tearful child you know wh why did you abandon me even when the abandonment is something that we have been made to feel okay about like when a parent dies you can't be angry at them for abandoning you but you are 
but you are. And you're, and you can, you know, there's so many kind of our society is such a, you know, get over it, man up, buck up, turn the page society. And like that causes a ton of emotional repression. So journal speak helps us get to those places. And what I tell people often is you've been afraid for so long. You may know it, you may not know it. It's okay. But we're going to consciously and intentionally, as we begin this process, replace our fear with curiosity. And so when we replace our fear with curiosity and we do the journal speak technique, oftentimes you do get to the root of it. You And it's so unexpected and it's so unplanned. And that's the beauty of it because there's no urgency to get to it in order to heal. Because the, the most important thing I'll say about healing from chronic pain in the mind-body uh, movement is that your nervous system and your brain perceive your repressed emotional world as a greater predator to your life than your pain. Okay, so like, it is true that your pain is making you miserable and depressed and everything, but your nervous system and your brain don't care because they can only choose between what hurts and what hurts worse. And it is essential to keep you alive. And if the perception is that the rising repressed emotions that feel like a tsunami that is going to literally drown you because you can't fix it, change it, save it. It happened years ago. It happened. There's capital T trauma involved. It ha you know, there, you, you don't have the capacity to, to go right the wrongs. Maybe you're angry at yourself. Maybe you've done wrong to other people and can't find a way to feel better about it. Whatever it is, that causes such an alarm bell with the brain and the nervous system that it leads to this heightened fight or flight where we're drowning in adrenaline and cortisol all the time. And the pain signals and the signals of inflammation, muscle constriction and pain and neuropathy and all the things, um, autoimmune flares are sent into the body as a state of protection. And so why? Well, if you're triggered because you were always criticized as a child and you're invited to the family reunion where Aunt Ethel's going to be there and she always gives you the business about, you know, your parenting and you're like getting ready to go, you get stricken with a terrible migraine. Well, looks like you can't go, right? Looks like you're going to lay in bed quietly and miss that and does that not seem safer to the brain and the nervous system? I know it's not what you want. I know that there's lots of happy things that'll happen at that party and you should go and I call it safe in the unsafest way. However, our brains and our nervous systems, especially the, the, the what's operating here, which is the reptilian brain is primitive and it's really about keeping you alive. It cannot be reasoned with. It's the same brain that pulls your hand off a hot stove or makes you jump onto the curb when a car's coming. Like it doesn't ask your permission and it doesn't wait for your opinion. It just protects you. And it's like that. And so that's what's happening in the world of chronic pain. And um, Dr. Sarno started this. I ended up um, in the by and by working with him, lecturing with him at NYU for many years. Um, he referred into my practice when I was New York based and um and it was a wonderful relationship. And now I'm actually very, very close with his daughter, Christina Sarno, who's a practicing therapist in Brooklyn. And she and I are writing a training course right now for therapists to train mm -hmm. others. So like, there's so much exciting thing, so many th exciting things going on with the Sarno legacy. But um, just in general, to really kind of a long answer to your question, it is absolutely possible to heal without getting to the root because all we're doing 
is we're taking a ladle into that reservoir of repressed emotions and we're ladling it with the journal speak and with the insight and with all the different healing modalities and we are bringing it down. And when the reservoir isn't at maximum density, you don't keep getting those triggers and the, the signals don't fire. And that's what I find in my work is people who do the work consistently and get that reservoir down, whether they get to the root or not, they're out of pain. Mm. Well, it's interesting because you asked this question on your website, and this might really tie into this. You said, be brave and ask yourself this question. How long would you like to suffer? So in that question, is there like an underlying kind of understanding that people are, I don't want to say more comfortable, but knowing that there's this other bigger issue that they, that is like, even if it's subconscious, like they're more comfortable with the pain that they know than to excavate and understand what other stuff might be down there. Is that kind of what you meant by that? Like, are people, I don't want to say, nobody's comfortable with chronic pain, but like, it is a great question. How long would you like to suffer? You hear about people suffering for years and years. What is the reason that they might not want to take that step? So I want to begin my answer by saying, I love you. Uh, <laughs> I love you, but I love everybody. I love anyone listening. I love you. Mm. And I know you don't want to suffer. Mm. And the I have to start with that is because I was you. And I know that that can be a very inflammatory question. How long do you want to suffer? And the reason I ask it is I ask it to wake you up. Mm. I ask it to, I ask it. So you understand that even though you didn't choose to suffer, even though the pain is not in your head, you are not hysterical, you are not creating it, you are not choosing it, you can still choose to change your mindset. You can choose to open yourself to what this mind-body work is, and you actually have power. So more than anything else, even though your, your um, suggestion is also a really good reason to ask that question, and I definitely think that that moves into other facets of my work, and I will say the reason I ask it is because I want to shake the etch-a-sketch. I want to like, that dates me. Uh, <laughs> um, I get it. <laughs> I, I know women, women our age will definitely get it and many people other than our age. But I mean, an etch-a-sketch is a toy where you like can make little lines and make pictures. And when you shake it, it goes blank. And I want people to give themselves a moment a pause to think, maybe I don't have to suffer. Maybe even though my mother had migraines and my grandmother before her, maybe even though I have a structural finding on my films, maybe even though I had Lyme's disease and now it's two years later and I have chronic Lyme's. Maybe, maybe, maybe. All the reasons that are very real, very true, very valid, you still might have a solution that you have not yet understood. And wow, what great news is that? So the reason I start with I love you is it's just so hard for people to hear that question sometimes because mm -hmm. they're like, fuck you. Speaking yeah. of the album, you know, mm -hmm. fuck you. I, I, are you kidding me? How long do I want to suffer? And I say with the greatest amount of love, right? I understand. And you might not have to. And it's important. Well, do you also think that people in that state, it feels overwhelmingly fatiguing to even try and change it? You know what I mean? Like, because if you're in a state of chronic pain, that already is depleting you. It's depleting your energy stores. You're, you're already in a stress state. And I want you to talk a little bit about, 
you've, you've talked some about it, but going into a little bit more about stress and pain. But do you also think, I, I found that it's almost like, and this could be anything, like people want to, you know, get in shape or do this or that. It's like the energy that it takes to start to get that momentum going toward a different state of being sometimes can feel overwhelming in itself. 100%. And, and I agree with that. And here's my contention, um, my philosophy on all of life. I mentioned it before, but it's really my philosophy about everything, not just the nervous system. Life is a choice between what hurts and what hurts worse. And that can sound sort of negative on its face, but it's actually a tremendous relief because when we stop expecting life to be easy and painless, we can start living in what is. And the truth of the matter is, yes, you're exhausted. And I say to you, stay in your current state of rest and exhaustion for as long as you need. However, on the day it becomes 1% harder to stay still than it does to do one more thing, that's the day you start. And it's such a gentle way of starting because there's no pressure. And I say this to my children all the time. I'm raising three teenagers and they are constantly in a state of something. And I always say, you change or you don't change. It's up to you. You Only you can evaluate if it hurts more to stay still or if it hurts more to change. So yes, it is exhausting. It's also exhausting to be treading the same ground again and again, right? So Amen. Mm. I say that people really find their way when they have that mindset. So when we were, you were mentioning about stress and pain, um, is the psychosomatic impact of stress, um, obviously I feel like it heightens pain. So is that an area that you start with tackling um, to kind of get the pain signals a little bit less intense? Well, here's the thing about stress. I look at stress as like on the surface of our skin. So if you think about, let's say you had a tumor, okay, but it wasn't a cancerous tumor and it wasn't going to kill you, but let's say it was like a big lump under the skin. And then on the surface of the skin, there was a little irritation. Putting a Band-Aid on a tumor is really not going to help you. It might cover up something ugly. It might keep the little distressed part of the skin from getting irritated, but like we got to dig and it's gross. That's bottom line. And so when I think about- Gross and bloody and all this stuff, yeah. Gross and bloody and And honestly, we have to expect it to be because if your nervous system is in such despair, protecting you from these feelings and and giving you this terrible pain or whatever symptom you're having, it's not doing it because you're a little stressed out. It's doing it because there is some shit in there that needs to be seen, needs to be reckoned, needs to be loved, needs to be accepted, whatever, nurtured. And so- I don't actually start with people's day-to-day stress. I say to them, here we are, living a human life. Okay, here we are. You're not going to necessarily feel better about your spouse or your kid or your money or your job or your parents. Like this is this is the stuff and it's hard. So basically what I do with people is I help them take sort of a Google, I say it's like Google Maps, like where it rises up and it takes this landscape look at your life. And we make three lists. The first list is childhood or past stressors, and it's just a bulleted list of everything you can think of. It doesn't even have to feel like it's definitely going to be a hot button. But, you know, things like when I was a kid, like we moved a lot. We had money issues. My parents got divorced. 
Um, I always had body image stuff. Um, I was insecure, uh, about making friends cause we had, I was in a different school all the time. So like you, you bullet out the stuff. Like if you were bullied, if you were abused, you know, anything big or small gets on the childhood or past stressors list. The second list is daily stressors, which could be things like, you know, current every, I always say, put everyone in your family on that list, <laughs> <laughs> your kids, your parents, your spouse, your partner, whatever. And then anything that's, you know, literally the list can go something as big as a person's name. And it can be something as small as last week in the grocery store when that guy really, you know, did that to me. And we just make these exhaustive lists. And the third list is personality, because we tend to repress a lot of emotions based on certain personality characteristics, like perfectionism and goodism, meaning you have to be seen as a good person all the time. Um, if you're your own worst critic, if you're codependent and you require other people to be okay for you to feel okay, these are lenses through which we have all of our experience have to filter. And so I have people make a list of like, what are the personality characteristics that might be fueling some of this depression? And when we have this big landscape, then we just get in there and we do a, a journal speak practice, which is 20 minutes of journal speak followed by 10 minutes of loving kindness meditation. It's a 30 minute block of your day. I'm so sorry. I don't care who you are. Everyone has 30 minutes to save their own life. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. As you practice consistently with whatever other self-care, you know, I know that you're involved with yoga. It's like moving your body, embodiment, understanding you're safe in this house that we're living in, you know, all of that stuff together, it creates the most stunning transformations in people. You know, Jeanette Barber going from a motorized wheelchair to running the marathon in my line of work is a boring everyday story. And mm. I, I wow. cannot tell you how many people have gone from the the most extreme despair in whatever way that that calculated in their lives to complete freedom on their knees in gratitude for the pain because the pain is what opened them to an entire new life. Mm, I love that. Oh, I love that. And I I have had a couple examples of that um, where people have kind of come to me as a last resort and they think I'm just going to do physical therapy and I end up Again, we unpack a lot of stuff just um, just being being heard and being seen, and how important that is at any age. How um, how corrosive do you think it is when people hold uh, lack like lack of forgiveness? You know, so things happen, and some people are aware of the things that happen. You know, like you also talk about things like you might not even have connected the dots. But when we think, I mean, there's so many sayings about like not forgiving someone, you're actually just taking poison and thinking it's going to change. But like in your experience, how do you guide somebody out of that place and, and, and not convince them, but really show them that this path is, is not going to help their healing? Here's what I'll say about forgiveness. Forgiveness is first and foremost for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that is that that is what I lead with with people. It's exactly what you said. People who won't forgive, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And you are the one who holds all that acid. Another little Nicoleism that I say, and I, I didn't make this up, but I have no idea where I heard it, is acid does more damage to the vessel in which it is stored than that on which it is poured. And so like if you're angry and holding the grudge, you're the one 
storing that acid and it is corrosive. It is the perfect word. And, um, you know, I have definitely had pushback and I've had people say to me, Nicole, I was sexually assaulted. I was physically abused. I was abandoned. Do not tell me that I have to forgive that person. And I say to them, you absolutely do not have to forgive that person, but there's work that can be done around self-compassion where you no longer actively hold that anger. And that's, that's the therapeutic work and it's really powerful. Mm, that's so powerful. Um, so you on your website have, uh, you say, learn a lifestyle that can keep you out of chronic pain for the rest of your life. I think you've told us some of the steps, but in general, what are some other elements that you share with people or even recommend to people who feel pretty balanced and don't yet have any chronic pain, but ways of, of, of staying out of that for life? Yeah, it's a great question. So there are three facets of my work. Believe, do the work, and patience and kindness for yourself. And every, it's like three legs of a stool. You know, it's really not going to hold your weight if you don't do all three. Mm. And so um, I really would recommend that when you, when I say believe, what I tell people is most of us, unless you're my children and maybe a handful of others have been raised in the Western medical model. That pain in your elbow means you go to a doctor that focuses here, pain in your stomach, you go to a gastro pain in your head, you know, and, and I would invite people to pause and understand that the studies are no longer supporting that actually. And even Western medicine is, is catching up that all sensation comes from the nervous system sig signaling the brain. We don't, if you cut off your head, you're not going to feel anything in your shoulder, you know? And so it's not that the pain is in your head. It's that all sensation, pain, pain is sensation and strong stimulation. It's not inherently bad. It's information telling us where we need to do some work. And so one of those pieces of information is get yourself checked out. I don't want somebody trying to journal away a cancerous tumor. Like I don't want somebody who has literally a tear in their muscle not to be able to get the surgery they need. Like get yourself checked out. I, I do not, I, I, I'm a fan of doctors. I'm a fan of Western medicine. I take my children to doctors. They get vaccines, they get um, antibiotics. And I only speak for myself, but it's important to me that I do speak for myself because I would never want someone to misinterpret my message. Having said that, there's a mind-body component to literally everything. Like, I'll give you a quick example. I once did a lecture and there was a woman in the audience and came to me after the lecture and said, I was diagnosed today with breast cancer. And, and this is her line, not mine. And she said, and I know I gave it to myself. And I said, say more about that. And she said, I have been living in stress and fear and anxiety and not expressing myself for years. And I feel like I gave myself cancer. And I said, Okay, well, first of all, let's let's try to calm that self-blame. This is not helping us. And I said, you have cancer now. It needs to be treated. You know, I'm not a medical doctor. I don't tell people what they should do, but she had agreed that she would do traditional treatments and she was going to get chemo. And she said to me, I want to work with you through my cancer. I don't want to lose my hair. And I said, well, I can make no promises, but... I will work with you through your cancer. We will do the work you need to soothe this, this system, this mind and body system that is creating so much um, turbulence in your, in your life. 
And let's see, let's see what happens. And I, my hand to God, this woman breezed through treatment. She never threw up and she never lost her hair. And she is cancer-free now for years. And I just, I can't, I don't know where the line is. I don't know where mind body begins and ends. I just know it freaking matters. It is. And it, it just does. It does. You know, not being panicked, it affects your immune system. It affects so much. And we don't realize why we're panicked because so much is happening under the space of consciousness. And so what I would say to anybody who's listening that maybe doesn't have a chronic condition and would prefer to live in that more expressed way, find out about my work and do it anyway. Because it's not just for people in chronic pain. It's for it's for the human condition. We are human. Life is lifey. We are going to struggle. And there are ways to make sure we are expressed in the way that our body doesn't have to keep the score, as Bessel van der Kolk says. I know. Great book. Yeah. In a, in a lot of ways, I've said this before, I think it'd be so much more useful if we were taught life is hard and it's also beautiful. Like cool. instead of, you know, thinking it's just going to be like this bed of roses. And when something happens, we're just, oh my gosh, my life's like, it's, it's like, no, it's challenging. And that is actually what grow, like it is the stimulus that does grow us. We hope, mm -hmm. you know, whenever, when we have the right ingredients. Um, one last thing I'd like to ask you about, because I feel like this is really prevalent now, maybe more than in other periods of time is that the level of anxiety that's present is, um, you know, seems to be an epidemic of its own. How much, uh, like when we think about, like even our children, I mean, I, you know, I have two kids, you have three kids, raise them similarly, but they, they are wired differently. You know, I have like one that is cleaning, rolling things. She's on toward the level of uh, anxious. And then I have the like, walks away towel on the floor but totally like think like he's life is going to be easy for him because it's just like yeah you know he just doesn't he's not bothered like when you have those different wirings and then we have the global uh you know information overload uh, how much can we modulate the people who are more prone to that like heightened state of um, anxiousness yeah, I hear you. I have a really anxious guy myself. Um, and then I have a very, very chill older daughter. And then I have my younger one who's kind of a mix. Um, so two things. The first thing I'll say is anyone who has more than one kid and you've just exemplified it perfectly knows that there is no nature versus nurture uh, controversy. People are born with their nature. Yes, you can nurture them and you should, and you should be fantastic and loving and blah, blah, blah. But there is a nature that is born with that baby. <laughs> Right. Right. I mean, even the way they came out, Olivia was like, Rah! and Joan was like, literally, I was like, is he alive? <laughs> he was just so like, yeah, I'm here. It's, it's fascinating. It's absolutely amazing. And so what I'll say is, to some extent, we do have to practice acceptance around our natures. Mm -hmm. And what I'll say about anxiety is the best comfort for an anxious person and the best comfort and pablum for anxiety is knowing that it is normal. You know, I I, I think that um, one of the things I say, because I have a course called Freedom from an Anxious Life, and one of the things I, you might want to, your daughter- I was to gonna say, is that online? Is that that just like take it online anytime? Yeah, it's an, yeah. it's an online course that you can take Perfect. it at case, yeah, um, on my website. But the thing I, I teach in that course is, the first lesson is anxiety is not a disorder. 
anxiety being disordered is actually really hurting us. Mm-hmm. Anxiety is a normal human reaction filtered through your nature of stress of day-to-day life. So the question is not, is anxiety a problem? The question is, how do we modulate our anxiety with the tools we need to deal with this thing we've been given? You know, I mean, I look at my son and there is nothing more stressful for me than watching him go through the things that I go through, but I have a lot of tools that I choose to use and he's 18 and he doesn't choose to use that amount of tools. And so we have, we have a an impasse. And the way I talk to him is, honey, I'm just like you. Oh my goodness, do I get it. And this is something I do for myself. I lead, you know, it's a program of attraction, not promotion, just like a lot of recovery programs. Like I'm not, I can't push it on him, but I live it and I'm a product of it. And another thing I tell my kids when they're anxious and whomever else is, and this is something so amazing that I didn't realize until it was told to me. And then I really got it. Anxiety and excitement are exactly Exactly the same same. experience. The only reason you know you're anxious is your perception of the situation. And I really help people play with it. So Mm. when I'm super anxious, I pause for a second and I say, what would this feel like if I was excited? What would this feel like? And I think about how I get excited sometimes because I'm I'm a super big feeler, as you might be gleaning. And things make me very excited. And I don't feel comfortable when I'm really excited. I feel like tight in my chest and dry in my mouth and my heart beats. And uh, it's the same as anxiety. But when it's because I'm about to go on and, you know, appear on TV, or I'm about to speak in front of a huge room of people, or I'm about to meet with my publisher, you know, that's a good thing. So I don't label it as bad. But when my kids are struggling or I have a deadline and then I get anxious, I'm like, what if I was just excited for this? And and I know that's, that's really reductive. And obviously people have crippling anxiety and I'm not trying to lighten it, but only to say that when you understand that anxiety is not dangerous and that you could literally be having the same experience, if you were really excited about a great thing happening in your life, it helps you normalize it and not realize you're like, and realize you're not disordered. You're just human. And then in addition, doing the work that I teach reduces anxiety tremendously because when we don't have to struggle to repress, we just don't experience that physical anxiety. It's anxiety and pain are, are uh, interchangeable. Yeah. That's, that's kind of uh, what I would had, had talked a little bit about earlier when the, how they impact each other, but they're, I always say they're just one is they're similar pathways and they're just expressed. So yeah, you kind of have to address one to address the other, especially the pain. Like you address this, the anxiety or stress, and then with the chronic pain being manifested, you're going to help both. So, yeah. oh, well, I could talk to you all day, but I know that uh, you are a busy woman. Please tell everybody how they can learn more from you. It sounds like you have, um, I know you have these online classes um, and you have a book, two books. Yeah, I, I have a bunch of stuff. So I, yeah, so I, tell um, us. Uh, basically, the best way to find me is to just go to thecureforchronicpain.com. My website has links to my two online courses, which is Freedom from Chronic Pain and Freedom from an Anxious Life. I also have a whole bunch of retreat recordings of different top topics and subject matter, two hours each that people can immerse themselves in that topic. 
I also teach live once a year, at least now it's once a year. I'm hoping now that we're climbing out of the pandemic, I'm going to be teaching live more than once a year, but I always teach at the Omega Institute every summer. Um, as we sit and do this interview, it's next week. So I'm sure it's already going to be passed by the time this airs, but um, I do it every summer. I know 2024 is going to be June 23rd through the 28th. So if people are interested in that, that's the Omega Institute in New York, but I'm going to hopefully be doing in, uh, more more in Europe and more on the West Coast now that the world is fully open. Um, let's see what else. I have an Instagram community that's really robust. It's at Nicole Sachs LCSW. Come follow me there with for great content. And um, yeah, and I have a book called The Meaning of Truth. You can get it on Amazon. It's a part memoir. So the part like really gets into the story I told today in much more detail and then exactly how to do this work. And I'm actually writing, you know, my, my next book is going to be quite the endeavor, um, but that's not that I can't, I can't talk about that one yet. But can't talk about it yet. We'll, we'll be excited for it. Yes. yes. <laughs> know that that's teased for the future. And Christina and I, this is something to say, if you're a practitioner of any kind, or if you are a layman that would like to learn this work in, in order to share it with other people, friends and family, Christine and Sarno and I are um, in the final stages of creating this training. It'll probably launch fall of 23. And that is, um, that's going to be really exciting. So, so, you know, keep an eye out for all things on my website. Amazing. Oh, you're doing so much to really bring all of this wonderful work and, you know, your own experience and your own uh, beautiful soul out in the world. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. Oh, and I, I forgot one thing. Of course, I have a podcast. It's called The oh. Care So if anybody wants to hear tons, hundreds of success stories, people speaking in their own words, it can really change the game in terms of belief. Go to Apple Podcasts or Google Play or wherever you get your podcast, The Cure for Chronic Pain with me, Nicole Sachs, and you can find it there. I love that. And sometimes that can be just the key for people to know that they're not alone because uh, there's so many people, but sometimes the experience of pain or suffering of any kind, it feels very lonely. And when you're not alone. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And for everybody listening, as always, I'm pulling for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.